Okay, Jeff Vance, Darrell Revis. Is off the board. The New York Jets select Makai Beckton, Louisville. Pressure just makes it go all the more. I kind of like pressure a little bit. The New York Jets select. Welcome to episode three of Jets NFL Draft Preview. Ethan Greenberg joined alongside the Athletics' Dane Brugler. Dane, Valentine's Day was yesterday. COVID world, the first Valentine's Day in a COVID world. We're actually getting closer to like year two in the pandemic. March 13th was the first day that we were told that we were not coming in the office, which is scary to think about. But before we dive into your mock draft, we have a juicy episode talking about the linebackers as well. How was your Valentine's Day? Yeah, it was good. It's, you know, like everything, it's, it's a little different this, uh, this year, but you know, a good time to spend with family and, uh, you know, we didn't do anything too crazy, but, uh, you know, just spend time with family, the kids, uh, they're, they're getting to the age where they can start to make their own gifts. And so my five and four year old gave us their gifts. And so it was, it was a good little Sunday. Before Valentine's day, we got a mock draft from you 3.0 on Thursday. And we're going to dive into this because it is pretty juicy. The Jets have, in your mock draft, they got two of the top six overall prospects on your top 100. And let's start with number two overall. You have the Jets staying put and taking BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. Now, Trevor Lawrence was a number one overall pick. Not really a surprise there. But why do you think that Wilson is the right quarterback for the Jets? Yeah, and this was a trade-heavy mock draft, so I had a little bit of fun with it. Um, and when I was trying to map it out where the trades would happen, uh, obviously, you know, the draft starts at number two. Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first pick. And so, you know, looking at possible trade scenarios at two, could they maybe trade out of that spot? I, I just think that Zach Wilson there, uh, it, it's just it's a, it's a great opportunity to hit the reset button and you get uh, some new uh, quarterback blood in that room. And Zach Wilson, to me, is just a great fit for the offense. Um, I, I think when you look at what you're looking for at the position, he checks a lot of boxes. And you want guys that are able to make that spontaneous, great decision. And he does that consistently with accuracy, with movement. He's got a whip for an arm. Uh, I mean, Zach Wilson, I think, is just such a great fit in this offense. And the type of guy that if you're going to hit the reset button, and build around a new quarterback, I think Zach Wilson makes a lot of sense. And we will break down the top quarterback prospects in a later episode, but I do have some questions for you in terms of Wilson. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the medical history, because isn't there a bit of a checkered pass there, and how confident are you that he will maintain his health in the NFL? Well, I think if there is a negative to Wilson, it's his size. He's narrowly built. He doesn't have necessarily the the build, the bulk um, on his body that you want. But and, and he does have some injury things in his past, especially with the, his shoulder, which is actually something from high school that he played with his freshman year, and then he had to get it cleaned up. Um, and, you know, like every player, uh, every prospect, the medicals are going to be very important. You know, the NFL, the game of football, it's a game of attrition and you have to be able to stay on the field. You're going to get beat up and you have to play, be able to play through uh, certain ailments. And a guy like Zach Wilson, you know, he, he took a few licks. He got a, hit a few times and, you know, it just, are there any lingering effects? That's something for the doctors to answer. Uh, but as long as the medicals are good, uh, you know, I, I think I, you know, you feel good about Zach Wilson moving forward. He's the type of guy that moves around in the pocket. So, He's not going to be immune from hits. Uh, and so it's just one of those things where you have to, 
uh, kind of cross your fingers and, you know, uh, you know, like a Kyler Murray or you know, Russell Wilson, uh, some of these other quarterbacks that maybe aren't the biggest, you know, they've really learned how to uh, avoid injury by not getting hit, uh, whether it's sliding, getting out of bounds, throwing the ball away. And those are just little things that Zach Wilson's going to have to pick up as he gets to the next level. How's his vertical speed? I mean, based on reading different articles, seeing different clips on Twitter, watching YouTube highlights, whatever the case may be, it seems like Zach Wilson is very good at buying time. But if he Mm -hmm. needs to tuck it and run, how is his speed there? I think good enough. I mean, he's not, um, you know, the, he's not Lamar Jackson, but he's he's got enough juice in his legs where if uh, the yardage is there, he can get it. And I think that's what you like best about him is the athleticism. Uh, you know, it's 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 similar athleticism to I'd say like a Pat Mahomes, uh, where you know I don't I don't know that his forty is going to be all that impressive, but he just moves so well and he's very mobile, so he can scramble buy time in the pocket, and then if the yards uh, yards are there, he'll take it. So I think he is a good enough athlete if you're looking for someone that can help you s- scramble and uh, you know pick up yards with his legs. I could ask you a thousand questions about Zach Wilson, and I will when we get to the quarterback episode, but I'm just curious because this is more of a topical question. Over the weekend, there was a report that Zach Wilson was not, in fact, one of BYU's eight team captains, and then – there was a bit of a dispute because if you Google Zach Wilson, there are photos with him with a C on his jersey. So what have you heard in terms of was he a captain, was he not a captain, and is it a big deal if he was not voted a team captain this before this season? Yeah, and I think there's uh, you know plenty of context. You know when you talk about a true junior who still very young, um, and he was not named a captain before the season. But early in during the 2020 season, he was named a captain. So it's one of those things where uh, I, I look at it as a positive because, you know, he, he wasn't named a captain before the season. He didn't let that bother him. He didn't let that, you know, uh, it, it kind of you know, pick away at him. He just went out there and balled out. And pretty soon into the season, he, he gained that captainship. So uh, it's something that is, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's, a, it's a label. More importantly, uh, teams are going to go behind the scenes and find out, okay, you know, family life and how did he relate with teammates in the locker room with coaches? Um, how was he behind the scenes? I mean, there's so much more to just was he a captain or wasn't he a captain? There's so much more to that conversation because quarterback, as we know, is such an intangible position. And so much of it is how you relate to your teammates. Can you be a leader? Things like that are what NFL teams are doing now and investigating, uh, you know, whether, you know, just where he ranks with these other quarterbacks in that area. And it's a threshold thing. You know, he doesn't have to be the best leader uh, in in this draft class to be worthy of that pick, but he has to be, you know, hit certain thresholds where you're going to feel comfortable with him as the face of your franchise and things like that. So up to this point, we haven't heard anything that would su- suggest that he can't be that guy but teams are still working through uh, all their background work. Uh, you know, a lot of teams, you know, they haven't had a chance to even sit down and, and talk to him yet and find out more about him as a person. So these things will be ongoing, these conversations as we go throughout the draft process. And when do you think that teams get a good understanding by what time of the process of each prospect? Would you say like mid-March after the after each player's respective pro days and virtual top 30 visit? Is that the timeline for that? 
Well, I mean, I would think that for a lot of area scouts, they have a pretty good idea based off of, uh, you know, just all the work they did in the fall. Uh, you know, and it's tougher this year because a lot of area scouts weren't on the road. And it's tougher with underclassmen because, you know, most programs, you're not allowed to talk to underclassmen, uh, only the seniors. So uh, it, it's, it, it makes it for underclassmen, especially with the uh, pandemic going on, it's a little bit of catch up. And so for a, a situation like this with Zach Wilson, I think right now uh, going into the combine and then out of the combine, which, you know, unfortunately we don't have this year, but all the, the virtual visits are still going to happen. Uh, he's still going to meet with a lot of teams and they're going to ask him the pressing questions after those interviews happen. I think teams have a much better idea. All right. And then, so that's the number two overall pick. Then the jets had the 23rd overall pick. They still do in real life, but in Dane's mock draft, you have them trading up to number 12 with the San Francisco 49ers. The mm -hmm. jets give up Sam Darnold and the 23rd overall pick. The jets get the 12th overall pick and a 2022 second round pick and with the 12th overall selection you have them taking Rashawn Slater your number six overall prospect at number 12 so one I would imagine this is great value here for the Jets and two why is Slater your six overall prospect uh, Slater is just he's rock solid uh, you know he's uh, I think what I love most about him is he does not wait for uh, the pass rusher to make a move and get on him he gets on the pass rusher. Uh, he, he will go out and lock him down before he can uh, do anything about it. He played right tackle, then left tackle. He didn't play this past season as an opt-out, but I, I think that he brings a lot of versatility. He can play inside, outside. Um, and, you know, he's going to get dinged a little bit because he doesn't have that ideal length. But he's so smart. He's so coordinated. He's balanced. He plays with power. Uh, you know, I, I think you can plug him in from day one. He's going to be your starter either at left guard or right tackle. So being able to land him here at 12, I think makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's an, it's an interesting trade because basically the Jets are giving up Sam Darnold for the equivalent of two second round picks. Uh, but in this scenario, they have to use one of those second round picks technically to move up uh, to uh, number 12 overall, which, you know, it's, it, it, you're getting a better player uh, theoretically moving up, uh, what, 11 spots. And we'll see, you know, it, it, good chance that there's going to be four quarterbacks off the board in the first 10 picks. So, you know, there's a good player that could be available for you there at 12. And Slater, would you consider this very good value considering he's your number six overall prospect and the Jets in this mock draft draft him at number 12? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, this this draft is quarterback heavy at the top, but it's not a draft with, you know, just that blows you away in terms of the blue chip talent. You know, there's not five players this year that are no-brainer top five picks. Uh, there's not 10 players that are no-brainer top 10 picks. Uh, but Slater is near the upper echelon of prospects in this draft, just in terms of what he offers, what he can be at the NFL level. And I, I think a big thing with Slater, again, is that versatility. He can play guard. He can play tackle. He's been working out as a center uh, during his training just to you know get that on his resume. So uh, that versatility is a big reason why he ranks so highly for me. And if you want to see Dane's top 100, check out the athletic descriptions or uh, descriptions for a lot of the guys. And then obviously you see height, weight, school, position. But with Slater, you wrote something that said he has Pro Bowl potential as a plug and play guard. And mm -hmm. my mind, when I see that, and then I see that you have the Jets selecting me at 12, is you have Makai Becton at left tackle and then paired up potentially with Rashawn Slater. I mean, that, that has to get 
the juice is going if you're a Jets fan because that right there is a formidable left side, wouldn't you say? And a young one, too. No question. And, uh, you know, I, I think that would be a lot of fun. You plug those two guys in and, you know, the run game, the passing game, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge upgrade. And uh, again, with Slater, if, you know, they decide, you know, Fant maybe is not the answer at right tackle, kick Slater over to right tackle and you've got the bookend tackles. I mean, you have that versatility and th- those those opportunities with a player like Slater. So uh, he just gives you a lot of uh, a lot of different ways you can go, a lot of different options. And so w- when you're looking at the offensive line, you want to get the five best guys out there. And sometimes you need a versatile guy like Slater to help you get the best five. All right. So and before we wrap up the mock draft talk, and we're going to be talking about different mock drafts throughout the course of February to April's draft. I'm just curious who were some other options at 12 for the Jets, if maybe they were there. For example, Jalen Waddle was off the board. Could you see that being a possible selection there? S- similar with Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan, the top two corners in this draft, according to you. So who are some options at 12 that could fall there if the Jets were sitting there and if the teams in front of them went in a different direction in your mock draft? Yeah, in this mock draft, uh, you know, after Slater, I think the next best player you could argue would be uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, another tackle guard, uh, Michael Parsons, a linebacker from Penn State, uh, Aziz Adjulari from Georgia, who, in my opinion, is the top edge rusher in this class. Uh, I think he'd bring a lot of juice off the edge for a team like the Jets. I think he'd be a great fit in that scheme. Um, those would be the next guys that were available in this mock. But if we're, one of those two corners were to fall, the, the three the three players that went in front of Slater in this scenario, Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertan, and then Jalen Waddle, the receiver, any one of those three I think would have to be a strong consideration there at 12. The two corners, Farley and Sertan, Farley the more physically gifted, athletically gifted, uh, Sertan the more polished player, uh, just, you know, he's been groomed for this chance uh, since he was five years old. So he's ready to go uh, from day one. And then Jalen Waddle, this guy is just a, a playmaker in every sense of the word. He can help. He can, uh, you know, not only is he had the speed and the burst, but he really came along this past year in terms of developing his routes. And so he can stress the defense in a lot of ways. He had four receptions of 75 plus yards in his career. He's just a playmaker. So uh, you put him on the offense. I don't slot outside. He can do it all. I think he would have to be heavy consideration there at 12 if he's still available. All right. That was a great tease of what's to come when we do a seven-round mock draft later in this segment. That was Dane's Mock Draft 3.0. You can read it on The Athletic. Be sure to check it out. Now let's talk about some linebackers. And you have four in your top 25. Before we get into these guys, is that normal or is this a – strong year for the inside linebackers yeah i mean i think it is maybe a little strong um you know when in the past we've seen uh you know two years ago with devin white devin bush both went top 10 um you know i i think that this year uh you know there's there's two linebackers at the top that uh are really really you know just gifted players uh, and it starts with Micah Parsons and him and J- Jeremiah Awusu-Koromoa, both these guys, uh, they, they can go. They've got that athleticism that you're looking for. Parsons, you know, he's really interesting because he was a pass rusher in high school. He goes to Penn State and they move him to linebacker. He led the team in tackles as a freshman, even though he didn't start. 
Then as a sophomore, he did start and set career best uh, again, led the team in tackles. And then he opted out this past year. So you wish there was a little more development there as an off-ball player, uh, just in terms of spacing, in terms of anticipation and coverage, but the athleticism, the reaction quickness. He's just a freak when you talk about size, speed, strength. Uh, and he, he has the mentality to be a cornerstone for a defense. I think just, you know, the maturity has to be checked out. You have to make sure that he is a guy that you can trust and he's going to be, uh, you know, fit your culture. But talent-wise, Michael Parsons absolutely uh, belongs somewhere in the top 15 picks. And then Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, he was perfect for that Notre Dame position that they run. And, uh, you know, Clark Lee's defense, uh, you know, former defensive coordinator, now the head coach at Vanderbilt, he was a perfect fit for that scheme, uh, you know, playing a little linebacker, a little nickel defender. And, and the coaches really put a lot on his plate, and he answered by filling up the stat sheet. Uh, he was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year, uh, the Buckus Award winner as a top linebacker. Uh, you love the speed, closing burst. He can do so many things for you. He can uh, mirror at the line of scrimmage. He can blitz. He can carry tight ends or receivers across the field. Uh, he creates explosion at contact as a tackler. Uh, I think, you know, there's some undisciplined play there. You know, he plays so cranked up that he's going to overrun some gaps or, you know, his finishing skills uh, need to be uh, developed a little bit. You know, he'll, he'll miss a tackle here or there because he plays so fast. But the one-step explosion, uh, the playmaking range, the intelligence, that gives coaches flexibility to deploy him, uh, you know, at linebacker, at safety, as a nickel defender. You can do so many different things, and that's what makes him a high-ceiling defender at the next level. And those two guys are one spot apart in your top 100. Parsons, 13th overall. Owusu Koromora, 14th overall. And in terms of Parsons, the first thing that I thought of was the combine because it feels like Micah Parsons would have been the next Penn Stater to blow the doors off of Indianapolis. You think about Saquon Barkley, Micah Parsons, or Micah Sicky also had mm-hmm. a very good combine. You think of Micah Parsons was next in line. And, you know, you said something that kind of stood out to me. And you said that about his maturity. And in your top 100, you said that he needed to mature on and off the field. On the field, what did you mean by that? Well, I think it's he tends to, you know, zero in on the ball. And needs, he needs to widen his vision so he, you know, can see the side angle blocks. He can, you know, uh, you know, locate different things in terms of what the scheme is trying to do. Uh, you know, he is more of a see ball, get ball type of guy. And so in terms of his discipline and play recognition and understanding what the offense is trying to do, he can get better in that area. And then, you know, off the ball or off the field as well, just it's more of a maturity thing. I don't think that, you know, teams don't believe he's a, you know, a criminal or anything like that. We're, we're just talking about a guy that, you know, some teams feel just needs to mature in areas. So the interviews will, will be really important for him. And yeah, I think you're right about the combine. That's it's a going to be a missed opportunity. Uh, you know, there'll still be a pro day, and you know, uh, I think we can assume that he'll be working out there. But uh, Penn State's got a few of those guys this year. Jason Oway, the defensive end, who I'm sure we'll be talking about, uh, you know, here in a few weeks. Uh, but Michael Parsons, yeah, he, he's a physical freak. And then for Owusu Koromoa, which is a handful to say, but we're getting there. So for him. 6'2", 220, you said that he could play nickel, he could play safety, he could play linebacker. His fit will be different from team to team. That's what you wrote. So for the Jets, let's say, now operating in a 4-3, they, in theory, have C.J. Mosley, who missed the past season. He opted out in the middle of that 4-3. Do you see 
Owusu Koromoa as a fit on the outside, or is he in a 4-3 front more of a nickel safety player and Parsons could be the better fit between the two of those guys in the Jets defense? He's only limited by your imagination, you know, and, and so I think if the coaches want to play him as more of a, you know, more of a will in a typical uh, 4-3 base, they can do that. If they want to use him as more of a rover like Notre Dame did, they can do that. Uh, if they want to run, you know, we know teams are going to run mostly, you know, sub packages and, uh, you know, put try to match up with what the offense is doing. That's where Wusu Koromoa, that's, that's where his strengths come in because you don't have to worry about getting him off the field. He can line up over the slot receiver. He can line up against a tight end. He can, you know, spy the quarterback. He just do so many different things. And so that gives you creativity. Uh, it, it just lets you uh, have different options with how you want to deploy your defense. All right. So after Parsons and Owusu Koromoa, you have another pair of linebackers also one spot apart with Nick Bolton, your 22nd overall prospect, and Zayvon Collins at 23. What's the drop-off between the first two and the second two? And can you just kind of talk about why Bolton and Collins are rated as highly as they are? I'd say there's a little bit of a drop-off, and I think it just depends on what you're looking for. The first two guys in Parsons and Amusu Koromoa, I think, are more scheme-versatile with uh, you know the different uh, areas they could play at the next level. Where Collins and Bolton, maybe you need a little bit more of a, a, a right fit for them. Uh, with Collins, and, and these two guys are very different, by the way. Collins is more of your oversized linebacker. Uh, he's a big boy, uh, and he never really played linebacker before he got to Tulsa. I mean, he's a high school quarterback and just played a lot of different positions. Uh, and he goes to Tulsa. They run like a three-three-five scheme. And they asked him to do a little bit of everything, and he, he did a really nice job. He helped out in coverage. He had four interceptions, two return for touchdowns this past year. Uh, just a large-framed uh, linebacker who moves really smooth. Uh, and that means he can cover. That means that he can he has the range where he can cover both sidelines. Uh, needs to be a little bit better with his take-on technique. So, you know, he can get rid of uh, blockers in the hole, things like that. But uh, he's just has a very unique blend of size, range, instincts. I think he's probably best in maybe a 3-4 where he's going to play that Sam role where he can rush the passer, he can play off the ball, do different things. So he's he's a really intriguing player. Nick Bolton, I think, is more he, – he, he's a better fit for a, a traditional 4-3, uh, probably as an outside will. He's a little undersized, and that's the biggest worry with him. I, I think that's – there's going to be some comparisons between him and Devin Bush, uh, who went to the Steelers a few years ago, uh, 10 overall. Bolton's a little undersized. You wish you were a little bit longer. You wish you were a little bit taller. But his range and his play style are outstanding. Uh, you, you love the play personality. As a run defender, he trusts what he sees. He has the vision to blow up runners at the line of scrimmage. Uh, just that lack of size, it leaves small, a small margin for error. And you see that in coverage where he's just a, a few inches away from making the play, but he just can't quite get there. Uh, so just needs to improve his consistency, especially in coverage. But the play speed, the instincts, uh, the contact-driven mentality, that all translates to production at the next level. So I think he's a three-down player if he continues to improve. And how is Bolton's speed and his coverage ability? Because in your blurb on The Athletic, you wrote that he is a hammer in search of a nail, which yeah. leads me to believe he's a very good downhill player. But how about when he has to go in reverse? 
Speed's not the question. I, I think he has the speed. It's more about understanding in his zone drops, you know, where he needs to be. He needs to hit his landmarks. Um, you know, he's a better – he shows better anticipation versus the run than he does versus the pass. And I don't think that's necessarily something he – you know, he can't improve upon. I, I think he can. Uh, he just needs to develop a better feel for routes, for passing windows and zone coverage, uh, you know, do a better job with his bait drive. And he can get there. It's just going to take, uh, you know, some more experience. This is a guy that is – football through and through. So uh, he's going to hit the ground, hit, hit the ground running as soon as he gets to the NFL and, and get working on that to prove he can be an every down player. So you have four linebackers in your top 25. The Jets have two overall, 23 overall, 34, and then two picks in the third round. So let's move out of the first round or the top 32 players. And how about a player that you see fit more so round three than where the Jets are round two and Pete Warner, whose father actually played with the Jets for a season. Yeah. Pete Warner. I, and the key with him is all about versatility. Uh, Ohio state, they, they felt comfortable leaving him on the field really in any situation, all three downs. Uh, he's physical enough so he can match up downhill. He can use his hands, work off blocks, chase down the play. Uh, but you can also play him in space. He does a nice job with his outside leverage, uh, zone dropping, holding up in coverage. He can just do a little bit of everything, and he offers the smarts, the toughness that NFL teams are looking for. So uh, in the third round, I think he'd, he'd present some pretty good value for a player that, you know, probably never going to make a Pro Bowl in his career, but it's just going to be a quality, uh, you know, piece to your defense. How would you describe his career in Columbus? Just looking at his stats, 185 tackles in four seasons, four sacks, no interceptions, 13 pass defenses. So the first part is how would you describe his career? The second part is how would you describe his game? Well, the coaches loved him. Uh, you know, Urban Meyer said, said it was one of his favorite players to coach. And, you know, I think one of the reasons the coaches loved him so much is because he, he, he would, he hated to leave the field. You know, he would play on special teams. Uh, you know, he would be uh, an every down guy. And so the coaches really loved him. He was a big piece uh, of that Ohio state defense uh, along with Baron Browning and tough Borland, Justin Hilliard, uh, Ohio State could have four linebackers drafted in April. So it was a loaded position uh, for the Buckeyes. Uh, but, you know, his game is, is again, it's all about versatility because he can do so many things for you and he doesn't have to leave the field. So uh, he's a four-down player because, again, he can play special teams. And so I think there's a lot of value in that if you can get him in the third round. How about a day three player, a linebacker that you like? You know, I really like Tony Fields uh, out of West Virginia. And he was uh, started at Arizona. Uh, he played there for three years. He's a three-year starter at Arizona. And then uh, kind of looking for a new opportunity to, uh, you know, help himself uh, in the eyes of NFL scouts. He transferred to West Virginia for his senior year. And, you know, he had a great year. Uh, you know, he was led the team in tackles. He was Big 12 Newcomer of the Year on defense. Uh, first team on conference. Uh, just, he was one of the more impactful free agent signings uh, in college football, uh, put it that way. So he averaged 9.8 tackles per game. He was everywhere. You love the play range that he has. Uh, just has a natural feel for the game. Quick to diagnose. He's got the athleticism where he can unlock and go. Toughness to make plays in the backfield. Uh, now he's a better, he's a little undersized, so he's a better run around defender than he is take on player. Uh, and that's where, you know, that, that's why we're talking about him as a day three player because he struggles a little bit near the line of scrimmage. But as an off-ball player who could be that uh, that run-and-hit type of linebacker, uh, that, that's where his value is and where he can cover a lot of ground. 
All right. So that was a great breakdown of the linebackers. And we actually, like I said, we take fan questions every week. We do have a couple more linebacker related questions. So let's just keep this train rolling. Let me look real quick. So the handle is nice to meet you. So nice to, nice to meet you too. Wants to know about Dylan Moses at Alabama and what his deal is. Obviously Alabama national champions, Dylan Moses, Mm -hmm. the center of that defense. So where do you see him projecting not only in April's draft, but in the NFL? And Moses is such an interesting player because yeah, he was kind of groomed and handpicked to be this superstar at such a such an early age. I mean, he he made headlines uh, when he received uh, his first scholarship offer from LSU as an eighth grader. Uh, so this guy he's been kind of in the spotlight for a long time. He goes to Alabama. He was you know SEC All Freshman. Uh, had a great year as a sophomore. He looked like a future top ten pick. But then he suffered a knee injury uh, going into his junior year, uh, 2019 season. So he had to return his past year. And you know what? He just didn't look quite the same. And he even mentioned that uh, his surgically repaired knee, it wasn't fully recovered. And he played through pain every single game. So, uh, you know, this is a really, really talented guy because of athleticism. Uh, you know, he's, he, he's got the, the movement skills to drop in coverage. He can play the run. There's so much you can do with a, an explosive player like this. But where is he medically? Um, and that's something that is really going to come down to the doctors and his medical evaluation. Uh, the doctors are going to be the ones telling the, the NFL front offices where to put this guy on the draft board based off of uh, what the what the x-rays say and what, what is uh, his forecast is medically. So what's his talent? If you were just the greatest talent alone, what round would that go in? Talent alone, based off of what we saw in 2018, he's a first round player. Uh, so before this injury, you saw an athlete who could mirror, uh, you know, he's physically developed, uh, a guy, like I said, he's been groomed for this for a long time. Uh, he trusts his vision to put himself in the correct position to make plays. Uh, he was, uh, you know, a, a valuable piece of that defense. He, it's not just athletically, uh, but he was making all the defensive calls. Uh, he was getting teammates lined up. So, uh, the way he could track the eyes of the quarterback, the infiltrate passing lanes, Mentally and physically, the toughness is there. So he had a lot going for him, projecting as a first-round pick. But again, it just going to come down to the injuries. Uh, you know, he had a Jones fracture on his left foot in 2017, and then, but the big one's going to be the knee. Uh, you know, at one point, he even admitted that he wanted to quit because it was, uh, you know, uh, it's just so much pain with his knee. And so you have to wonder what's going on long-term, and it's just going to come down to the doctors. Uh, you know, where, you know, is he going to be a guy that can play out his rookie contract? Can he have a full 10-year career? Uh, or is he not worth, you know, taking a chance on? It's 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 really tough for these doctors to make that uh, distinction. And with no combine this year, it's going to be even tougher. But they'll get the medical evaluation done, and teams will kind of view it a little bit differently, I'm sure. Awesome. So let's keep the linebacker train rolling. Gus wanted to know about a lot of players, one of them being Pete Warner. We covered him. Jabril Cox, we covered in a prior episode, but two guys that we have not talked about, Chaz Surratt and Monty Rice. So where do you have them rated in terms of your big board and what do they bring to the table for NFL teams? You know, Surratt's, he's tough because I, I, there are a lot of things to like. He's a former quarterback. He was a high school quarterback. He goes to North Carolina as a quarterback. And about halfway through, he realized, okay, yeah, my future is not a quarterback. So he makes the transition to defense uh, as a junior and you would think he's playing the position his entire life. Uh, the last two years, after never playing the position, 
uh, besides a little bit earlier on in his in his career. Uh, he had 206 tackles, uh, over 22 starts. Uh, the athleticism that he showed at quarterback translated very well to linebacker. He's field fast, moves really well. Uh, you know, the football IQ that it takes to be a quarterback, that translated to the defensive side as well. So, you know, he's got shorter arms. He, you know, has trouble taking on contact, needs to improve his run fits. Uh, but, you know, he's he's a high-volume tackler. So, uh, you know, he's somewhere on the, in that day two range, maybe more towards the third round uh, as well. And then, you know, Monty Rice, uh, he's your traditional Mike linebacker uh, out of Georgia. You know, he's, he's a thumper. Uh, he's not afraid to come up and hit you. He's got that gritty, tenacious play style to him diagnose as well he's very aggressive uh he needs to do a little bit better job you know he his motor runs hot he loves to go out there and hit you so he needs to be a little more patient with uh his reads his technique uh things like that it reminds me a lot of uh, michael kaiser coming out of virginia uh, a couple of years ago as a prospect and he went to uh, the los angeles rams and he's been a really strong contributor on their defense so uh, I, you know money rice is going to be probably a day three pick uh, a guy that's not going to be an every down player and, you know, might have some limitations, but he can be a valuable piece of, uh, you know, a valuable rotational linebacker on your defense. Before we wrap up this episode of NFL draft preview, I'm curious of all the linebackers we've discussed, including mm-hmm. Jabril Cox and Baron Browning, who you briefly touched on in a prior episode, when you look at where the jets select and you look at their scheme being a four, three front, is there a player that we've discussed that you think fits both categories in terms of could be there when the Jets are on the clock and would be a good scheme fit? Well, I mean, let's assume that they don't take a linebacker too and that they don't trade that pick, that other pick in the first round. So, uh, you know, 23 overall, you know, there's a strong, strong bet that Parsons and Wusu Koromoa are gone. Uh, and then I think it comes down to Zayvon Collins or Nick Bolton. I think Bolton would be the you know more the, the better fit in that scheme. Uh, you know Bolton can play outside. He has the play speed. Uh, you know he's needs to get a little bit better in coverage, like we said, just more of a consistency thing. Uh, but the play speed, the instincts, uh, that, that's what you sign up for for with a, a player like this. Uh, you know the football character is outstanding. I think it's going to translate very well to the next level. So. Uh, you know, my, uh, I, I think that when you look at what fits this team, Nick Bolton would make a lot of sense. Awesome. Now let's wrap up this episode with an offensive question. Take a, take a deep breath. We've done, we're done with the defense for the day. And Claude wants to know just what are your thoughts overall about the offensive guard class? And we will touch on the tackles and guards, really the interior linemen separately, but what's your overall thoughts in terms of an interior lineman class of 2021? It's a pretty good class, um, and some of that is, uh, you know, projecting tackles inside, which a lot of teams are doing with, you know, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, probably a better guard than tackle. Uh, Alex Leatherwood for a lot of teams, he's on the board as a guard, not a tackle. So part of it is, you know, some some players making that transition from outside the inside at the NFL level, but you also have some really uh, just bruising guards uh, like Trey Smith from Tennessee, Deontay Brown from Alabama. Uh, and I think this position stretches a little bit. Uh, you know, we could end up seeing 10, 11, 12 guards taken in the top four rounds or so. So it's a pretty strong position. I'm, I'm excited to uh, talk about it with you more uh, in a few weeks and kind of go more in depth. Me too. I think that based on Twitter clips alone, I think fans will enjoy the tenacity of the 
interior the let me re-say that the tenacity of the interior lineman class in 2021. That's all we have here for this episode of NFL Draft Preview with the Athletics Dane Brugler. Rate us, subscribe to us, ask us questions. We're breaking them all down right here on wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. So Dane, thanks a lot. We'll check back in next week. Thanks, Ethan.